There you go. That is obviously The Smiths and a track called Panic. That all the way from Manchester. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show. Welcome to the next 60 minutes of gold music from the golden decade. And on the show today, we've got a packed one, as always. I caught up with Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buzz to talk about what life was like in an indie band during the 80s. And that interview is going to be played throughout the show in three easy-to-digest little segments, which are going to last about three to four minutes each. But don't you worry, they're fantastic questions and great chat, so you will love them. Plus, we'll also be playing lots of tracks by the Darling Buds, who were just absolutely fantastic. Also, we've got music from the Weather Prophets, June Brides, Shop Assistants, Red Guitars, and much, much more. So all I want you to do is sit back, relax, turn up your stereos, and enjoy what is going to be probably one of the most amazing 60 minutes of music ever recorded on the airwaves. As I said, I caught up with Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buds, and that interview will be coming right at you. Um, so to kick off the show, um, because I'm going to be slightly biased towards them, this is Uptight. Here it goes.
Indeed you do. That is uh, that petrol emotion, the track called Big Decision. And if you wonder where that rap comes from, and it took me ages to find it, it was Brother Brother D. And the track that uh, it's taken from is How Do We, How We Gonna Make the Black Nation Rise. Yes, I was just reading that out. But I remember going off and trying to locate that 12-inch, and I did. And I felt very hip and groovy. Anyway, and before that we did have, um, yes, the Darling Buds uptight and the reason for the Darling Buds track and there's going to be a lot of it so if you love the Darling Buds yeehaw if you don't well you should do so um, because I spoke to the lead singer Andrea Lewis only earlier this week to find out more about the band and that interview is going to be played throughout this show in like I said three easy to digest little segments Um, but it will be coming up after this next couple of songs and we're going to kick off oh yes and if you want to get in touch with me or the show um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and if you look for the um, at C86 show you will see a little sort of it's a it's a very groovy little sort of uh, motif design almost like the adidas one but not quite um that's where my inspiration came from a bit so do um follow us me and um that will be fantastic and if you've got uh, yes and like i said i will also tell you how to get in touch with the show via sort of um yes email and also future radio because it's all going to be very good but to get the next couple of songs going this is going to be yeah yeah no and a track called stealing in the name of the lord it does fade in
splendid stuff that is the Copto twins on a track called Love's Easy Tears and I was just looking at the um, yes release and a little bit of information it came out in September September the 1st 1986 only 30 years ago and it was received it was said it was critically well received in the Michigan Daily described as ethereal romanticism that makes for the closest thing in pop to a music for gothic cathedrals I know we used to always love a talk about we always went on about um, ethereal pop when we ever mentioned the Copto twins well I did anyway and before that we had the incredible sound of the yeah yeah no and the track called stealing in the name of the lord hello and welcome this is David Easter on the C86 show bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade that was the 80s and as I said at the beginning if you were paying attention um, I caught up with the lead singer of the Darling Buds all the way from Newport Wales Andrea Lewis to talk about the uh, life of being in the indie band one of the best indie bands of the 80s um, and I broke this sort of interview into three bits and this is the first bit where I asked Andrea I know this is almost like Jeremy Paxman meets I don't know David Nixon no not D- Nixon Ding- Dimbleweed that's the one um, it's one of those convers- uh, kind of in-depth conversations we had that I sort of really nailed it down and I be- began the interview by asking you know how the band was formed in the first few years and this is oh, it long after leaving school really we um we were all, you know, like, like yourself, big music fans and into that kind of, um, yeah, you know, like um, end of sort of 80s Bauhausy and Cocteau oh, yeah. Twins and Smiths and all that sort of thing. So we're all friends that were into that kind of music and um, just one of those bedroom bands, really, where, you know, your mates pick up guitars and I'd been, oh, when I was um, probably about 14, I was in a girl band at school that... Um, you know, used to sort of sing in assemblies yeah. and we actually went on a foreign exchange and sang in Germany and sort of did all this. So people knew I could, you know, that I, I was singing, that yeah. I could sing actually, but I really enjoyed it. And so we sort of, um, yeah, we should do this and kind of um, started getting involved in writing, you know, melodic, kind of quite naive, kind of catchy songs really. Yeah. Um, and I remember quite soon... We only had about three songs, and quite soon I'd seen an advert for bands to play, and I was kind of saying to the boys, all right, we, we should find them. Hang on a minute, Andrea, we haven't got enough songs. I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, we'll do a couple of covers. And really, that was what our first gig was all about. It was um, Harley, myself, and Simon, yeah. who was our bass player at the time, and a drum machine, and um, that was our you know, very first gig, so was probably only about 18 at the time. Right, so this um, really was about 86 time. Yes, it was, it was. It was, um, and we recorded pretty early that first little single as well because, um, well, it was a sad situation really because Harley's grandmother passed away but left him some money and straight away he said, right, I'm pressing up a single, you know, we're going we're gonna, to gonna go for this and um, booked a really swanky studio. <laughs> booked um, Loco Studios, which is quite, you know, it's, it's, it's um, not around anymore, but at the time it had people like Julian Cope there, um, you know, and uh, yes. gay bikers, I remember, were recording there, I think, a little bit, and anyway, you know, it was quite a, it wasn't just a sort of like little eight-track, it was a 24-track studio, and we went in there, probably only used about eight tracks, though, but that was that, and um, that little single, we, we decided to put it out as a, a double A-side, and uh, that little single got sent to, I remember Harley going up on the train and took it to um, John Peel and Janice Long, and he took it to Sounds Enemy and Melody Maker. 
and just by a fluke, it, it, everybody did receive it who needed to receive it and either played it, reviewed it, or, or talked about it. So You got it. Yeah, it, just, it you know, it was kind of, yeah, it just all happens, sort of meant to be, you know. It certainly was meant to be. That was me in conversation with Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buds, and that was first the first part of three little interviews that um, I've put together for this particular show. If you just tuned in, this is David Eastall on the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. Um, if you want to ever contact me, you can on Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86show, and you'll be able to find all you need to know. But because of the Darling Buds connection, and because um, we're having a bit of a sort of revival on that, this is a track called It's all up to you. It does fade in. Oh! 
Yes, thank you ever, ever so much. There you go, Marky Smith, and that was Couldn't Get Ahead from the album This Nation's Saving Grace, all the way from 1985, can you believe it? And also before that, we had the fantastic sound of the Darling Buds and a track um, titled It's All Up To You. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall, the C86 Show, as I said. And we've got a packed show. We're halfway through, and I have to say, it's a, sh- it's a shame I've only got 60 minutes because, frankly, um, there is just so much fantastic indie music from that uh, fantastic decade um, that every week... I bring about 40 songs and only can play about 14. But um, like I said, often at the beginning of the show, I often think I should sort of announce what sort of songs I'm going to play. But then often the mood changes and then sort of I scrap half of the playlist and um, just go with various other things. But I think, as always, you'll love it. And this uh, next song will be one of those ones I'm sure you'll most of you will remember. But um, I thought I'd just play it just because it's a beautiful evening. And uh, let's face it, the moon is coming up and everyone's getting very excited. This is The Cure and The Walk.
the unmistakable sound of We've Got a First Box and we're going to use it, the track called Self, and that actually is from their second album, sometimes referred to as the tricky second album, but no, I know I'm always playing stuff on Boston Steve Austin, which was on Vindaloo Records, but that was when they uh, signed to Geffen Records. Oh my God, a major record, can you imagine it? Um, I know, us indie kids got very angsty when people signed to a major and thought, you know, used to say those predictable things like, my God, is that a sellout? But anyway, I still thought they sounded fantastic, and I know that Vix and the band are still going and have reformed and will be touring with the Wonder Stuff this autumn. Indeed they will. And before that we had the unmistakable sound of The Cure all the way from 1983. There you go. Featuring one Robert Smith and Lowell Tolhurst. Just those two actually to create The Walk which was probably one of their greatest singles ever. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show and as I said at the beginning um, I've caught up with Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buzz to talk about life in an indie band and uh, this is the second part of that very exciting interview where I mention actually that very subject about sort of what what happens when you've started from a um, a small independent label to go into a major and this is the part second part of that interview Absolutely. you don't you don't have to sign to a big label or you don't have to be oh you know like you said that the, the, the sort of like thinking about the bigger um mainstream kind of stuff you could switch off to that and still you know feel like you were doing something in music that wasn't something that you felt like oh well if i'm not gonna you know make it big then it doesn't yeah i'm not gonna do it, it was still no no it, you, you can do it you can enjoy it and go along for the ride, really, which I think is what our, um, what, what we were like for, you know, certainly forming and, and finding gigs. I mean, we just literally got in our little van and, you know, drove and played in front of anybody who would have us, you know, and, <laughs> and they were, yeah, there were people that were running fanzines yes. with bonus up and, um, I remember in the early days, you know, John, John Peel did actually give out a phone number for us, so, um, which was great because, you know, people, like-minded people that were listening to the show then could, you know, get in touch and say, yeah, you know, if you can get here, you can kip on so-and-so's floor and you can do this gig. And (laughs) and it really was homespun like that, you know. Well, I seem to remember him when he first played one of your very, very first singles, given, I I think it was the the address, at least, of the band to get in touch with. Absolutely, it was. And it was quite like, and I I remember all those kind of moments where you'd, because I never listened to the John Peel show live. I'd always record it on a trusty TDK. 90 tape and then yeah, listen to it absolutely. several times because it was <coughs> because it was always a bit tricky because all the music was new so you needed to listen to it a few times for digester but I always yeah. remember thinking wow that's you know it was it just felt very sort of homespun and I think yeah well I think we did get a call um from somebody to say oh is it okay if John gives out you that gives out your contact details and you know obviously we're just too excited to say no yeah. of course we are <laughs> you know because we're going to do it and also, I think with the punk scene, it was quite quickly, you had some, you know, you had Joe Strummer and you had sort of like um, Johnny Rotten and you had mm. all these kind of quick kind of superstars almost. They were, were crossing over, weren't they, and becoming really big in their own right. Yeah, yeah, so they became the personality, which I found a bit of a turn-off, really. So actually, the independent scene, there wasn't a figurehead that said, right, you're going to have to follow me or it's my way or the highway. It was a bit yeah. like you could sort of go from the Fuzzbox to Terry and Jerry to um, sort of the Red Guitars to the Wolfhounds to the shop assistants etc etc so there wasn't there wasn't a sort of person that had to sort of was the vocal point of indie pop because actually probably most people didn't want to think they were part of the scene but and and for the the listener it was just an alternative to you know a really bland mainstream wasn't it you know Mm. so you know people could be into still a, a wide range of music i mean you know if one minute you're listening to Bauhaus and the next minute you're listening to Tallulah Gosh that's you know, <laughs> pretty wide, 
you know, sound really. So. There you go. That was me and Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buds talking about the wonderful world that was the 80s indie scene. And uh, yes, it wasn't just all about sort of um, Trevor Horn production or even sort of old punks who were sort of become figureheads. It was so much more interesting. Um, but to keep the music going, because I realise I'm over halfway through the show, uh, this is a little bit of The Weather Prophets and a track called Almost Prayed.
Rock and roll all the way from Edinburgh. This, the unmistakable sound of the shop assistants and the track called Safety Net. And um, yeah, if you want any of their material, I do believe it's on Cherry Red Record label. And uh, I think it features all their stuff. I think they did one fantastic album. And before that, we had the fantastic sound of Pete Astor who was in The Weather Prophets and the track called Almost Prayed. And as you know, 2016, interesting year. Um, and one of the sort of major things happening for me was, anyway, was David Bowie's passing because I was a huge Bowie fan. And um, trying to squeeze a, some sort of David Bowie reference into this song, um, into this show, is a bit tricky because obviously this is indie 80s music. But I have got a fantastic link here and um, I'm going to play you the song Shall I tell you the link before? No, I'll just play the song and then you can work out what the David Bowie link is. And um, if you get it right, I'll give you a million points. Take it away, Susie and the Banshees.
There you go, that's Susan the Banshees covering The Passenger, which was done by, obviously, in the, um, in the 70s, Iggy Pop. And I was just talking about David Bowie, as I do most of the time. And um, what was the connection with David Bowie? And it was that he produced and played on the original. So there you go. I try to squeeze a bit of Bowie in whenever I can. This is David Eastwell on the C86 show. And this is the third and final part of the interview I did with Andrea Lewis from the band The Darling Buds, where we talk about that tricky moment when things are coming to an end. But don't worry, The Darling Buds are still... Have, have sort of reformed and are still doing gigs and probably can do new, do new material. But anyway, this is the third and final part. Yes, and um, at that point we were, you know, we were living out in, in America and um, touring quite a lot. And you know, a lot of, lot of, you know, people out there liked what we were doing and wanted to help and wanted to sort of possibly sign us directly to an American label or, or the American side of Sony. It didn't happen. I mean, and, and then we actually. We did get a bit fed up of not being at home and we were missing people and we felt in limbo, I think. Right. So we decided to come home and we all sort of reached a point in our lives where we thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe it's time to move on and do other things. Um, and, th- and that's what happened. But and was that, was that a difficult period? I mean, how long had you lived in America for? I think we were there from for about eight months or so. Right. And yeah. that was when you put the album together out there as well. No, no, the album was put together here with Stephen Street. We yeah. did our second album, Craw Daddy, with Stephen Street. Um, and then we we went on a couple of American tours and obviously were writing as well, um, back and forth to the, to the States quite a bit. Excuse me. <coughs> back and forth to the States quite a bit. And then most of the material, I'd say, was written before going into the studio for our third album with, with Stephen. Yeah. Um, and we were chuffed with it. We were really happy, and you know, it had good good response from um, people that sort of that have stuck with us in terms of um, the people you know, like A and R people yeah. and stuff like that. Um, we were really really chuffed with it, really happy. Um, but like all bubbles, they burst, and our bubble with the music press here burst, and um, you know, they just didn't really want to know. So it seemed like the right right thing to you know go and go go to go abroad for a little while and see if you know we can yes. sort of you know get a different label and sort of start afresh and that was the sort of feeling of it yeah but then obviously you sort of thought after that album the you know erotica you decided to call it a day yeah sadly we did yeah was it was it sort of a a, a sort of decision that everybody within the band felt okay with i mean did everyone also come to that conclusion that it was time to sort of knock it on the head um no i don't think they did really i think it was more my decision um to do that and um yeah, like I said, I think the, the only the only way I can describe how I felt was in limbo. We couldn't, we we sort of exhausted um, ev- everything about going out on tour with another band, or you know, the money dries up, and you need to, you need to. We hadn't actually been dropped from Sony, but we no. were just trying to negotiate something which is more in our favour. With you know, I, I I mean, Sony had such huge um, you know people on their label. We, we I don't think knew what to do with us. Do you yes. know what I mean? And um, that started to show, and we, there was no point in us, us them having us, and there was no point in us having them. It was just we wanted it to be a, a, an amicable, right? Okay, we, we, off we go. Then we'll carry on doing it our way, and that kind of thing. But it just it just didn't materialise, and like I said, we were, 
you know, staying with friends and, you know, we had some, some great um, support over there. But, yeah, time just ran out, you know. And like I said, I just decided that I thought, or maybe I need to do other things now. And there you go. That's Angela Lewis talking about the wonderful life of being in an indie band. Yes, all the way. Thank you ever so much. And um, her coffin, she did so have a bad cold at the time. But anyway, um, much appreciated for giving me at least 20 minutes for that interview. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, I'll tell you how after we play this next track, which is almost coming to the end of the show. This is The Darling Birds and a track called Spin. Musical perfection. There you go. That's the Darling Buds and track called Spin. And um, like I said, thank you ever so much to Andrea Lewis for the interview and the special for the C86 show. If you want to contact me, David Eastall, uh, go to Twitter or Facebook and look at at C86 show and hopefully you'll be able to find it. Anyway, thank you ever so much for listening. Uh, Stay tuned for next week because we've got another exciting special, which I think is going to be on Sarah Records when I caught up with Matt, who was one of the co-organizers or founders of that particular label. But I'll leave you with a little bit of David Gedge and the wedding present and the track called Once More. Somebody.
Just let me go 